right? But we're not complaining, are we? We're very thankful. We need all the rain we can get, so we'll take it. I'm so happy to see all of you here uh, tonight. I'm going to put those rules back up there again. Um, the plan tonight... The plan tonight is to uh, try to finish lesson number eight, which is generic and specific authority. Trying to look at that. We're going to try to finish that up tonight. And then after tonight, we want to spend uh, about the next couple of weeks, the next four classes, looking at binding examples. How can we tell when an example is binding and aids and additions? Now, I hope you can see what we've been doing here is we've been building we're building. So we're trying to break these concepts down very slowly. So we're not just trying to make reference to them or kind of do it as like a shotgun thing. We're trying to do it as bullets, not a shotgun. You know the difference, right? We're trying to do bullets, not a shotgun. So we're trying to just knock these things out, build on them so people can really understand, understand the concepts. So tonight, we're going to do a little experiment in the beginning here. I do want to remind you, and I think Rick will do it later, that the Zoom study will go on tomorrow. That's been going well. We've had a good turnout on those. I will be in Dallas tomorrow night, but I plan on still leading the Zoom study from my hotel room. So please, if you can, if you can join that, please join us on that. It's going to be 1 Thessalonians 5 tomorrow. A lot of good stuff in 1 Thessalonians 5. So you can join us in that Zoom study tomorrow, 7 o'clock. Uh, if you try to log on tomorrow, and maybe you log on at about 6.50 and you still don't see me on yet. Don't panic. Just keep on trying. I promise you, by at least 6.58, you're going to be allowed to come in, okay? So don't give up, please. It just means I'm delayed just a little bit because I'm going to a preacher's conference uh, to, for a couple of days. But I plan on leading the study still, okay? So let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump into our class. Let's, let's pray. Holy God, we thank you, Father, for blessing us to be together tonight, Father. We're thankful that you safely brought us together. We're thankful for the rain we've received and that we are receiving. We pray that you'll bless our Bible classes tonight. We pray that you'll be with our young people. We pray that we will have open and honest hearts and that we can be changed by the things we learn together. We're thankful, Father, for our young people. We pray for them, and we always pray for our leaders, our elders the men who lead this church, that you will bless them and their families. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Faith uh, is six years old, right? She's going to be seven in a, in a couple of months, even though it feels like she's about 17. She's six, all right? So I'm just going to ask Faith some questions and see if she can follow instructions, and then she's going to go off to her class, all right? So Faith, can you... Hand me a book. Okay. Can you hand me a blue book? Okay. Can you hand me a soda? All right. Can you hand me a Coke Zero? Can you get me, hand me a doll? Can you hand me 
Baal. Thank you, Faith. You did very good. You can go to your class now. Thank you very much. So, why did I go through that exercise with a six-year-old? Well, the reason why I went through that exercise with a six-year-old, because I'm trying to prove a point, and we did not rehearse this ahead of time. Faith didn't know she was doing that until a, about an hour or so ago. So why did I go through that with a six-year-old? Well, the reason why I went through that with a six-year-old is because I'm trying to prove a point. Trying to prove a point to our young people. Trying to prove a point to our new converts. We got a lot of new converts. And trying to prove a point to those of you who may be, maybe for the first time, considering these kind of things for the very first time. Um, some of you maybe have never really studied this in depth before. Uh, maybe you've been kind of skeptical on it. So I wanted to kind of prove a point to you also. I'm trying to make the point to you that we didn't make this stuff up. We didn't make this stuff up. This is common, everyday communication. It is something that everybody can understand, even a six-year-old. A six-year-old understands the difference between generic authority and specific authority. She understood the difference between her dad saying, just hand me a book and get me a certain colored book. Or just hand me a soda and then get me a Coke Zero. Or just hand me a doll or hand me a specific doll. A six-year-old could get that. Do you see that? She understood it without me even giving her a heads up on it. And so let's go back to our studies. What have we been looking at? How does God authorize a practice? We circle the word authorize. That's the key word. The key word is authorize. It is not enough. And please listen carefully, please, my dear friends. It is not enough for us to do things as a church because it's convenient for us. Or because we just like it or prefer it or it just kind of makes sense to us. Or we're just trying to keep our tradition. Or we're just trying to do what the elders, you know, come up with. Or because, hey, we've always done it this way. I was raised to do it this way. It's got to be right. That's not good enough. If we do things based on those kinds of thinking and that kind of conclusions, we are no different than the people we speak against. We're just like them. We're just like the denominations. We're no different than those folks. So it's not enough just to do it because we've always done it that way. We must have authority for everything we do as a church. Everything has to have Bible authority. It's either got to have specific instructions or generic instructions. It's either got to come from a direct statement from God or we got to have an approved example or it's got to be something we can infer from a text. And so we looked at these things last time. Where's our authority for a church building? The implication of the scripture found in Hebrews 10, 25. Our authority for baptism, a direct statement. Plurality of elders. There's examples of that being done in the Bible. Benevolence to needy saints, even in other places. Examples of that. Taking the Lord's Supper every Sunday. We have examples of that. It is implied in the language of Acts 20, verse 7. Supporting elders and preachers financially. That comes from the Bible. 
That's a direct statement from the Bible. There are examples of preachers being supported financially in the Bible. Training preachers, direct statements, examples of that. It's implied in several passages. Singing. Why do we sing? Because we have a direct statement from God to sing. Why do we give on Sunday? Direct statement. Why is it okay to, uh, why do we do church discipline and have authority to even rebuke leaders in the church? Those are direct statements. Where do we get our authority to appoint deacons? We have examples of that in the Bible. It's either got to have a direct statement or an example or an implication. And not only does God authorize in that way, but sometimes he communicates through specific instructions and generic instructions. Faith showed us tonight that she understood that at six years old. So like direct statements and examples and implications, remember we made the point that these things are common methods of communication. That was the point of faith being here tonight. We use this every day. We use this with our kids all the time. So let's define our terms. Generic authority, because we kind of had to speed through this on Sunday a little bit. This is where something is authorized. God authorizes it, but the means, the methods, or even the people for carrying it out have not been specified. So you have some liberty there. God has authorized something, but there are some things he leaves up to us to try to, to make decisions on. And where God has not specified, there is liberty to use whatever means are lawful and expedient. We use the example of Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said, go, preach the gospel. But he didn't tell us how to go. So we have authority to go. But God says, you can decide how you want to go. It's up to you. You can use a boat, plane, car, walk, camel, horse, whatever. He says, baptize. Baptize people. Okay, so the Jesus doesn't tell us where to baptize. So we could baptize in a swimming pool. We could baptize in a river, lake, a baptistry, as long as we baptize, immerse. When it came to specific authority, this is where God, where something is authorized. We got an authorized commandment practice here, but the means, the methods, or the persons for carrying it out have been specified. So there's no wiggle room for us on this one. When God specifies something, there's no liberty. No liberty. Jesus said, go preach the gospel. There's no, there's, there's no liberty there. We got to preach the gospel. Can't preach the Mormonism. Can't preach Jehovah's Witness doctrine. Can't preach the, the Quran, world history, mathematics. Got to preach the gospel, Jesus said. Naaman was told to go dip in the Jordan seven times. God was specific on the place and the number of times. There was no wiggle room for him. Only then would his, would his flesh be restored. And so where God is not specified, there is liberty to use whatever means are lawful and expedient. When God specifies something, there is no liberty. So before we get into some other things we want to do tonight, I want to just pause right there for just a moment to see that anybody... Uh, have any comments about what we've looked at so far? Anything maybe doesn't make sense? Just want to make sure we're on the same page so far. Okay, so the next thing I want to do is I want to talk to the young folks just a little bit, okay? So, young people, I hope you did your lesson ahead of time because what I want to do is I want to see if you can point this stuff out, if you can recognize these things in, by, in the Bible. Okay, so we're going to look at God giving some instructions in the Bible and we're going to we're going to see if our young people 
can recognize what's generic about God's instructions and what's specific. And the reason I want to do this with the young people is because I like how young people often appreciate simplicity. I was taught, don't ever underestimate the power of simplicity. Sometimes as adults, we overthink things too much. We, 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 we miss the power of simplicity. But young people don't do that. Young people understand the power of simplicity. So I want to talk to the young people, and I want to make the point that if our young folks here can understand these things and can see these things at their age and the days of their youth, then we got no excuse for those of us who are older. We should be able to see them also. So we're going to use the young people and adults. What I want to ask you to do is just listen, watch, look at how the young people understand and appreciate the simplicity of God's instructions. That's all I want you to do. So let's start, young folks, with the book of Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to go to Genesis 6. Many of you know that this is where God is speaking to Noah, telling him what to do to preserve him and his family. And I'll read the scripture, young people. You give me your answers when I, when I, when I get to that point, okay? So in Genesis 6 and verse 14, God said, go, he said, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You should make the ark with rooms and you should cover it inside out and with pitch. So, young folks, what did God tell Noah to make? Somebody raise your hand and tell me. Yes, Nathan. He said, make an ark. Don't make a mansion. Don't go and, and you know, make a spaceship. He said, make an ark. Make an ark out of what? Yes. So he even specified the, the wood. So I don't know what gopher wood is. No one knows what gopher wood is today. But no one knew what it was. And God said, you make it out of, you make an ark out of gopher wood. Not oak wood, not any other kind of wood besides gopher wood. What about the tools? Did God in the text specify the tools Noah was to be used? Was to use? So if God didn't specify the tools, tools, can someone tell me what it? How, what, was, what did that mean to Noah? If, God, if you're Noah and God didn't specify the tools, he told you to build an ark out of gopher wood, what does that mean? Yes, Brenna. <laughs> I love it. Brenna said you can use whatever tools you want. Brenna, you got it. You got it. So God is specific about what to make, what to make it out of, but just general on tools. I'm not telling you, you, you use what tools you ever want. You want to use hammer, saw, whatever it takes. Am I being specific there? Okay, let's go to the book of Numbers now. Numbers chapter 19. Let's look at verse 2. And this is God giving the nation of Israel instructions for sacrifice here, for a sacrifice here in Numbers 19 and verse 2. It says, this is the statue of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel that you bring an unblemished red heifer in which... There's no defect and on which a yoke has never been placed. Now, there's a lot we could say about that verse. We're just going to focus on a couple of things due to time. Young folks, what did God tell Israel to bring? In that verse, God is telling the people to bring something. Yes. A red heifer. Any other things you see there? A red heifer. And what else about that heifer? Anybody else see? Yes. Without any defects. 
God is very specific. He said, an unblemished red heifer. Now, let me ask you this. Did God tell them how to bring it? Did he say, hey, bring it with a rope? Bring it with a chain? Or did God specify how to bring it? So if you're, if you're in the Israel, if you're an Israelite and you hear that, what do you take from that? God has told us what to bring, but he didn't tell us how to bring it. What do you conclude from that? Yes. <laughs> However you can get it there. However you can get it there. You want to put a, something in front of it and kind of bring it along? You want to put it on a chain on it, a rope? You bring it. And then he doesn't specify the size of it. He doesn't specify the age of it. These were things that God allowed Israel to determine. Do you see it? Do y'all see that? All right. Acts 20, verse 7. We know that verse. On the first day of the week, the disciples broke bread. Paul preached until midnight. What day of the week, young folks, did the disciples, did the Christians take the Lord's Supper, break bread? What day of the week does the text say? Yes, Sean Michael. First day of the week. Okay. So God's specific about the day of the week. What about the hour? Do you see what time they took it on the first day of the week? Does it say they took it at 9 o'clock, noon, 10 o'clock at night? So if the scripture doesn't tell them, tell us what time they took it on the first day of the week, what does that mean for us today? What do we conclude from that as far as the hour goes? You can do it whenever. So you could do it like we do it at 11 o'clock, right? Or you could do it at 2 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, as long as it's what? First day of the week. Do y'all get it now? We keep going here. Colossians 3, verse 16. The scripture says there, we go to Colossians. Let's just read it. Colossians 3 and the verse is 16. Let the word of Christ Richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. When it comes to music and church, this is a big one for the young folks. When it comes to music and church, what kind of music does God want from his people during worship? What does he specify? Yes, Michael. God says singing. I want you to sing. And before I put it up, let me ask you this. Sing what? We can sing some Taylor Swift. Right. That's what it says. You can sing some pop, some country, maybe a little bit of rap. Right. What does God say to sing, Nathan? So God is specific. I want you to sing. You're going to sing spiritual songs. Right. But what about the number of verses in a song? Does God specify that? Like, make sure you sing four verses. Make sure you sing verses one and three. What about the length of the song? Does God talk about the length of the song? See, all oh, that's generic. The length, the parts, it's up to us on that. So if we have a song leader who says, hey, we're going to sing all four verses, God says, okay. I didn't say anything about that. If somebody says, I'm, we're going to sing just verses one and three, guess what? That's scriptural too. As long as we sing in his spiritual songs. Do you see it? One more, one more real quick, John, then I see you. Hebrews 10.25, we struggled with this one a little bit on Sunday. So let's look at Hebrews 10.25 again. Hebrews 10.25, Scripture says this, and I'm going to get John's comment. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more, 
as you see the day drawing near. So what does God want us to do according to that verse? What is he very specific about? What should we not forsake? Say it louder, Nathan. Okay, so God says, I want you to assemble. An assembly is this. An assembly. So this is where the online worship thing is not going to cut it. Because God says, I want you to assemble. But where does God tell us to assemble in that verse? What do you say, Michael? So God is generic about that. God says you assemble. And by definition of what a meeting place is, God says you can determine that. So if you do want to rent a gymnasium, as long as you're not doing it for recreation, because we have no authority for that. But if you need to, if that's going to accommodate your worship to assemble, fine, as long as it's for worship. You want to meet somebody's house, somebody's backyard, you want to meet in a barn. I've worshipped with Christians in the barns before. Lance, remember that church out in Hawaii? They meet in a barn. Or guess what? In a church building, too. God is generic on that. All right, well, y'all did fantastic. They did fantastic. Make sure y'all commend them tonight because they saw it. John, you had a comment, sir. Go ahead, sir. About singing? Yes, sir. That's what you're talking about me now. <laughs> the most important thing is sing. Sing. And even if you're somebody like me who can't carry a tune at all, I got to sing. And even if I can't read music, I got to sing. God doesn't say, hey, you, you got to read music too. If you can't read music, then it's no good. If you want to read music, fine. But if you can't, as long as it's coming from your heart, that's the most important thing to God. That's the most important thing. Oh, that's good. Any other comments about this, please? Yes, Ryan, go ahead, sir. One more thing on the theme. Uh, one thing more specific is just faithfulness. Yes. No, that's another specific part of the text. When you sing, you got to have and that, thankfulness. That requires concentration. And God has always been very specific about that. Jesus says when you worship, you worship in spirit and in truth from your heart. So God is very specific about not just what we sing, but how we sing. And the main thing he's looking at is, is it coming from here? You could have the worst voice, and it sounds terrible to the, the ears of men. But if it's coming from the heart and the ears of God, guess what? It's beautiful because God made that person's voice. He knows how they can sing. He cares about the heart. He's always cared about the heart. Uh, any other comments about, yes, Brother Mitch, yes, sir. That's a great comment. Another part of the text. When we sing, we teach. So, and, and think about that. I'm teaching you. You're teaching me. Women are teaching when they sing. They're speaking and they're singing and they're teaching. There was an elder in the, in the church where I was in training at in Beaumont. And we would sit behind him in church doing singing. And he would look back at Janice all the time. He loved her voice and he would say, Thank you for teaching me today. He would always say that to her. And guess what? He was right about that. She was teaching him through the singing, like Mitch said. So that's another specific part. We teach when we sing. So in a sense, guess what? Every time we come together, we all are teachers. Think about it.
because we all are supposed to be singing with the words. Can't just sit there, can't hum, can't, you know, say, oh, I don't want to do this. No, we sing, we teach through the singing through the words. Absolutely. Um, any other things real quick before I move on? Yes, Janelle, go ahead, ma'am. So you see the harmony of the, of the text now. So we see Hebrews 10.25 says we assemble, we meet. And then we find an example of Luke saying that's what we did. We came together for the purpose of worship there, to break bread, to hear preaching. And in that context, they're meeting in the upper room. But in other places in the Bible, they're meeting at the temple. And in some places, we can read about them meeting in Christians' homes. So they're meeting all over the places. All different places. And that's going to get us into our when do we know an examples binding thing that we're going to look at starting Sunday. But that's a great observation. Great observation. So let me give you a couple more other things to think about here. I think we can all see this. And I just want to say this. In addition to commending the young people, I want to commend you. you all of y'all have done so great this class, way better than me as the teacher. Y'all have done fantastic. Y'all have always had great attitudes. You've always made great comments. You put up with me and my mistakes. And I appreciate it. Y'all are just being, not just the young folks. The young folks are a reflection of the parents and grandparents. So I appreciate the whole church. Y'all been doing just fantastic. I want to give you a few other examples just real quick. Matthew 26, 17. Why do we do, do unleavened bread? You know, if it's up to me, I, I don't know about y'all, but I, I like them Red Robin's hamburgers. I mean, that's what I would prefer, them stuffed crust pizzas from Pizza Hut. That would be a whole lot better to me. But the reason why we do unleavened bread is because in Matthew 26, 17, when Jesus first instituted it, the scripture is very specific. The type of bread is specified there and the type of drink, even though I would prefer one of these when we do the Lord's Supper. You know, I would prefer one of these. No, the text specifically says that it was unleavened bread, bread with no leaven in it and fruit of the vine. So that's why we use the elements we use, because the Bible is specific. But where the Bible is generic is the size of the bread. You know, we, we, you know sometimes, I don't know about y'all, but I've been in situations where I've, we've had big chunks of bread for the Lord's Supper. Big chunks, okay? Like loaves, like they had in Jesus' day. All right? And guess what? That's okay as long as it's unleavened bread, right? But what if we got these little things we're using now? These, Jason, you got, what's that word you use? That chalice. <laughs> so the containers, right? And how, that's a little small piece, right? A little small piece. And we can, that's okay also. And I remember I was preaching out in Florida where Brother Buddy Payne is. He's an elder in Tampa. I was there last year preaching. And they do what we do. They have the little containers. And I grabbed me one. I went in, sit down. Get ready to take the Lord's Supper, but a buddy of mine, you remember Andrew Roberts, who you met out there, he and his family were together, and they came to me and said, hey, you want a, you want a bigger piece of bread when we take the Lord's Supper? Because we got the big things. And I was like, no, nah, it's okay. So, so that was their conscience on it, I guess. But the point is, for some Christians, they like the bigger pieces. And for me, I was okay with the, what came in the container. That's okay. That's the point. Okay, I can't bind size of bread on you because the Bible doesn't specify that. What about Titus 1 and verse 5? Titus is told 
specifically there to help those churches appoint what? Elders. You get elders in the church. But the method for appointing is never given in the Bible. So every congregation or a lot of congregations do that differently. When I was in Florida, helping the church get elders there for the first time, we went through a process where we did a lot of teaching and then we had people submit names and then we went through those names and interviewed guys and you know, they went through a process where they could go through two weeks where nobody could bring up scriptural objections against them. We appointed them. But every church doesn't do it that way. This church may do it a little bit different and there are other churches that do things differently. God doesn't tell us the method for appointing. He just specifies qualifications and he specifies what we are to appoint. Qualified men to be elders, qualified men to be deacons. He leaves it up to us to decide the method on that. Okay. Another thing, Acts eleven twenty nine. There we looked at this verse Sunday. Brother Mitch read the verse Sunday for us, where the scripture specifies there benevolence, relief for needy brethren. So not feed the world. The church is not a soup kitchen to the world. It's, 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 you never find that. You don't find a direct statement on that. You don't find no example. You don't find no implication. Every time you find examples of this in the scripture and commandments, it's always for needy brethren. But the amount is up to us. So, you know, the elders can decide. They have the liberty from God to decide how much relief is, is given to members in the congregation where they are over or in other places. Our elders can decide that. God doesn't give them a certain amount. And elders have to use judgment on that. They got to look at their needs in the church. They have to look at, hey, we got a preacher and we're paying the preacher. We got other preachers we're supporting. We got this number of people who are getting benevolence. The elders get to look at many different things when making a decision, a judgment decision, on how much relief to give to a needy Christian or needy Christians. Here's the point. There are many particulars. There are many particulars to be considered with generic and specific authority. Who, when, where, how, why, how many. There are a lot of particulars we got to consider. Which of these matters has and has not been specified by God? These are questions we got to ask ourselves. When we take the Lord's Supper, we got to ask ourselves, what has God specified? What does he allow us to make a decision on? When it comes to singing, when it comes to you know, paying a preacher or appointing elders, we got to ask these questions. Whatever God has specified, we got to do it that way. If God says sing, we got to do it that way. We can't sing and play. God has specified that. When, it, when God says unleavened bread, hey, I want Pizza Hut. But God says, no, you got to do it my way. When it comes to assembling, people might be like, oh, well, hey, we live in a modern time. We should be able to do online church. That's good enough. No, God specified assemble. When it comes to how we use the money, we may want to say, hey, let's build this basketball gym. Let's build a coffee shop. We can get more people like that. No, God says, I have specific ways in which I want you to use the money that you take up every first day of the week. When it comes to what we preach, no matter how the times change, we got to preach the gospel. When God specifies, we got to do it his way. But where God has not specified, we can use whatever means are lawful and expedient. So God has specified a meeting place. We can determine that. We can do it in a church building. That's okay. When it comes to parts and verses and songs, we can use our judgment on that. The size of the Lord's Supper bread, we can use our judgment on that. The method for appointing elders, the method for going to preach the gospel, the aids that we use to teach the gospel. God says, 
you can use these things as long as they're lawful and expedient. Failing to adhere to these basic rules, and these are basic rules of communication that a six-year-old can understand, that's a failure to submit to God's authority. It's a failure to submit God to God's authority. So I'm going to pause right there. I said a lot there, and I appreciate you listening to me. Here's your chance to make a comment, and I'll take the one comment thing out. I'll make an exception now. We're going to throw that out right now. If you've already made a comment, that's fine. What do you want to say about this? It's, it's important to me that everybody can see this, can get this. Even if you've already made a comment, feel free to make another one. Any comments about what we've talked about right here, please feel free to. Y'all, yes, Brother Brian. Yes, sir. Go ahead, sir. That is such a great point, Brian. That is, that is a fantastic point. For those in the back, Brian made the point specifically with the generic authority part that we got to be careful with that one and how we utilize that one, wield that one, because, and many of y'all have seen this, especially those of you who are seasoned and you've been in the church a long time. Haven't you seen churches get destroyed because even though God allows us to make a judgment call on something, Christians can't agree on that, and they bite each other and devour each other over it. Have y'all seen that before? I've seen it many times. I have seen churches split, literally split over a meeting place. You know, we're talking about how God allows us to decide where we meet as long as it's for the purpose of worship. I've seen Christians split over that. In, in, in a church where I just came from in the South, small group of folks, about 60 people, and they were in a, in a church building, but half the group wanted to keep the church building. The other half wanted to sell it and start building something new. And they went from 60 to 30-30, split down the middle. So they didn't have much money before. They really don't have it now. They couldn't support a preacher before. They really can't now. Couldn't have elders before. They really can't get them now because the, the talent pool was split. The devil just sits back and laughs at that kind of stuff. He's like, I got them right where I want them. Because we are weaker divided than we are together. So even though God allows us to make judgment calls on matters with general authority, we got to be willing to yield to each other at times on that stuff. If it, means we can st if it means me not getting my way, if me not getting my way means we can stay together and keep working together and grow for the Lord, I'll yield. I yield to you. Because God's work is bigger than me. It's bigger than my ego. And me getting my way, my pride. So I'll yield to you if it means we can stay together. Because we got to choose our battles wisely. 
That's a great point, Brian. And, and, and more brethren need to start thinking that way. Otherwise, maybe we would have stronger congregations in this country. I think that's a great point. And I thank God that, that our elders here and the, and the members here understand this. You get this. this. I wasn't saying any of that to be a shot at anybody here. Uh, yes, Lance, go ahead, sir, and then I'll say a, final, a few final points. Go ahead, sir. It, sometimes it's said very poorly, but whenever you're talking about driving, and you're talking about young people, mm -hmm. so they're learning how to drive. So you talk about asserting the right of way, yielding the right of way. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of language that's used there, right? Right. And, and when it comes to authority, we need to make a choice. Are we going to try to assert yes. our opinions? Or are we going to just yield yes. to other people? Right? I think that's a great point. I mean, there's a type anti-type with driving, which... That's an excellent point. Asserting authority. Asserting our authority. Or doing like Paul did with the meat. Giving up something for the good of my brother. For, for yielding. For, for unity's sake. And that's why Paul said we got to work diligently for the unity of the spirit. And this is especially true when it comes to stuff like this. When it comes to matters of judgment. It's hard to preserve unity when God says, hey, work together and come to a decision together on something lawful that I've authorized. It takes a lot of humility to do that and a lot of love for each other and God's work. So I, I want to close just with these final things. And y'all have listened so well tonight. And I appreciate you. The first thing I want to close with is this. My dear friends, this is not hard to understand. If you're leaving here tonight saying, man, I drove in the rain to hear something this simple then I've accomplished my mission. Because as a preacher, I don't get up here trying to be no Greek scholar. I know one, I know a little Greek, and he runs a pretty good restaurant. <laughs> but that's the only little Greek I know. I don't know, I don't know Greek, I don't know Hebrew. I know I want to preach to change lives. I want to preach to help people understand God's will. And if I get up here and sound so smart, you leave if you can't understand nothing, I haven't accomplished the mission. The mission is that everybody can understand, even our young people. So this is not hard. If you think this is easy, then I've done my job tonight. We authorize things, secondly, by using these principles every day. These principles that we're using in the church to authorize things, we do this every day. You do it with your kids all the time. But it's interesting to me how when God does this, when God communicates with us and gives instructions to us and authorizes the same way we do every day. We struggle with this. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't want to accept that. And why? Well, maybe it's because we just want to do what we want to do anyway. Maybe that's what it is. We understand this in our daily lives, but when God does the same thing, oh, we, it doesn't make sense. Maybe it's because we just want to do what we want to do anyway. And then finally, let's make sure that we really understand why we do what we do. And, and, I, and I'm saying this in kindness. I'm, I'm not saying this to be ugly or take a shot at any of my people I love here. I'm not saying this to do that. But so often, I'm speaking generically here. As members of the church, we do a good job talking about what we are against. I'm against this. I'm against that. And I'm against that. And there's a time for that. But in addition to speaking about what we're against, we also need to talk about what we're for. What are we for? So I'm against this. But what am I for? If somebody asks me, what are you for? Why do you do what you do? Can I explain that to them? It's not enough just to be against stuff. We got to be for something too. And that's what these lessons are about, to, to 
to help our kids, our grandkids, to help all of us understand why we do the things that we do. And we're not just doing it because the elders say it's okay or it was a tradition or our parents said it was okay or the grandparents or the preacher. We got to understand why we do this stuff. That's when we're getting rooted and grounded in the faith, and that's when we start growing like we're trying to do this year. We're really growing then. So we'll stop right there. Thank you all so much. On Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to get ready for Lesson 9.